So today we're talking to you from the book of Luke about the character of Jesus. And um, interestingly, Luke did not ever meet Jesus. Um, I don't know if that's common knowledge amongst everyone. Um, Luke and Jesus never met. And this, the Gospel of Luke was written probably at our best guess about 50 years after Jesus uh, died. And I wonder what that makes us think about his account I often say to the children here that the Gospels are a bit like the disciples' diaries. And it's like they got into bed that night and wrote, Dear Diary, I was with Jesus today and he did this really amazing thing. Um, And these stories are like the first-hand eyewitness accounts of Jesus. But in actuality, some of them didn't even meet Jesus. And most of them were written like decades after he died. So how then can we trust them? I don't remember what I did last week. How are they possibly remembering what happened 50 years ago? And I remember asking this, asking this of a vicar many years ago. And I said, how, how can we trust the Gospels if they were written so long after it all happened? And she said, if you wanted to learn about World War II, which book would you trust more? A book that was written in 1946 or a book that was written last year? which would be more helpful to you, which would give you a more rounded account of the story of World War II. And I was reflecting on this a few years ago, actually, um, in autumn of 2020, when people started publishing books about the COVID-19 pandemic. I remember seeing all these things and thinking, hold up, we can't possibly begin to start writing the history on this yet. We don't understand it yet. We don't know what, what happened. We don't know possibly aftermath. We can't possibly start writing the history of this pandemic because we are still living it. We are still seeing what it, we don't understand it yet. So when I think of the Gospels now, I don't think of the disciples in their bed writing in their diaries, although that is a lovely analogy to use for the children. Instead, I think of investigative historians, people who have experienced firsthand either the presence of Jesus or the aftermath of Jesus. People who have listened to the stories, learned from others, seen the effects of it ripple through the country and the world. People who have lived in the effects of Jesus' life, maybe even for decades. Luke said in the start of his gospel, he has followed all these things closely for some time, that he's heard the report of the eyewitnesses, And for the last 50 years, he's been living in a new world that he feels compelled to explain the origins of. This is his orderly account of the life of Jesus. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be tracking through a sermon series that Philippa has called The Captivating Character of Christ. And we're going to be looking at the different gospel writers and how they draw out different bits of Jesus' character. But obviously we know that we can't possibly get a rounded view of who Jesus is just by picking on one gospel. And to be honest, even if if we want to get a truly rounded view of who Jesus is, even then choosing all four gospels won't be enough to do that. Because we know that the whole Bible points to who Jesus would be, who he was, and who he is. But sometimes that's just a little bit too big for us to comprehend, and it's really helpful to zoom in on little bits of his character. So that's what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks. And today we are zooming into the first half of Luke and thinking about Jesus, the human. So preparing this message, I, I thought, and I've, I've asked a few people as well, um, if you wanted to live life more like God, think God the Father, the God we read of in the Old Testament, how would you live more like God? Just need you to think about that for a little bit.
Because I found that a really challenging thing to think of, and I didn't know if I was supposed to find it challenging or not. How would I live more like God in the Old Testament, the God of, the, like the God the Father, the God we read of in the Old Testament? And actually, I have absolutely no idea, because he's kind of so big and all-encompassing, and I just can't quite get my head around it. I can't relate to God the Father, and I don't know if I'm supposed to or not. Because we are made in the image of God. We are made to be like God. But when I think, how do I, how do I act like God? I have absolutely no idea. And I find him hard to relate to. And I don't know if I'm supposed to or not. The Old Testament is full of, of rules that tell us how to live according to God's will. If any of you were at the Fruit Fest last year, I remember I shared my favorite potentially made up Bible fact about how many rules there are in the Bible. There are this, apparently, there are the same amount of rules in the Old Testament as there are seeds in a pomegranate. Does anyone remember how many that is? Any guesses? Oh, I had a very... 613? Are we going to go higher or lower? Any, any, or do you think that's correct? That is correct. Helen, Helen remembered. Yeah. Round, round of applause for Helen. <laughs> I just don't think pomegranates are big enough to fit 613 seeds. But apparently, there are the same amount of rules in the Bible as there are seeds in a pomegranate. There are 613 rules. And that's just so many, isn't it? That's how the Old Testament teaches us to live according to God's will. These 613 rules. And so I am so thankful that today we get to think of Jesus, the human, that encapsulates all of those 613 rules. And that when I think about how to live according to God's will, I'm not thinking about a rule book, but I'm thinking about a person. A living, breathing human being who walked this earth, somebody with hands-on experience of humanity. In Luke 6, verses 20 to 23, we read, Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. And I hope it's not me who, only me, who occasionally slips into this cynicism. Um, but I've sometimes been sitting in a church and I've, I've heard a particularly motivational and uplifting preach. And I've been sitting there thinking, well, it's easy for you to say because your life is amazing. I, I heard a preach years ago of this, this woman who um, she said, oh, she was a mother and a wife and a church leader and a worship pastor and an author and a business owner. And she said, sometimes people ask me, how do you do it all? And, and she said, oh, sometimes I come home and my house is a mess. My laundry's hitting the ceiling. The kids are all arguing. And I feel like such a failure. And in that moment, her message was, we all struggle. Like, we all, we all have times when we feel like a failure. And then she said, so I hired a cleaner and I hired nannies. <clears throat> and, and suddenly I was like, oh, I was so close to relating to this woman and I, I've, I've, I've lost it. <laughs> but here, Jesus is a poor man with next to nothing, and he preaches to the poor that they will be blessed. Jesus, a man who spent 40 days in the desert, he preaches to the hungry that they will be satisfied. 
Jesus, a man who cried when his heart was broken, he preaches to those who weep that joy is coming. Jesus, who was rejected countless times throughout his life and ultimately killed by those who he came to save, he preaches to the excluded that heaven is waiting for them. I can relate to him because he can relate to me. The Gospel of Luke contains the most parables of all the Gospels, and perhaps it's Jesus' favorite method of teaching. And it could be because I'm a children's pastor, or it could be my English literature background, but I love a good parable. I'm always trying to come up with new analogies. Occasionally, I'll run a particular, particularly tenuous one past Michael just to see if it works, and he'll say, do you know that not everything needs an analogy? And, and I said, well, I, I know, but when we're, trying to pre- when we're trying to talk about these really difficult kind of biblical themes, these spiritual themes, it's so helpful to have something tangible to have to link it to. Throughout his teaching experience, his use of parables is paramount to connecting a tangible human experience with his spiritual mission. I was running a children's session at my old church years ago, and I wanted to teach the children about why Jesus used parables. And I got my friend Teresa in to help. Now, Teresa is blind, and she has been her whole life. And so I said to the kids, I'm going to hold up an item, and I want you to explain or describe the item to Teresa in a way that she can guess what it is. So the first item I held up was a rubber duck. And the children said, it's yellow. And I said to Teresa, do you know what yellow is? And she said, no. (laughs) And the children were immediately thrown because they hadn't considered that that wasn't going to be a helpful description to her. That they have such different ways of viewing the world that they needed to put themselves into Teresa's shoes and think, how does she see the world? How will she understand this? That yellow may be an obvious place to start for them, but it wasn't for her. So Jesus put himself in our shoes. He was fully God and yet fully human. He could see things as God saw them and he could see them how we see them. In Luke 10, we read probably one of the most famous parables, the story of the Good Samaritan. It says, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down on the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place, he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So it says that the man came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus asked the man if he knows the law. That's the 613 rules. Uh, And Jesus says to him, how do you read it? Which I think is an interesting question. Because I don't think he says, do you know the 613 rules? I think he's saying, how do you understand these rules? What do you think that these rules actually mean? What is the law for? And the man answers, you must love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Which honestly, I think is a great answer. I was taught growing up that the Old Testament is very much living by the law and the New Testament is very much living by the love. And so the fact that a man, this man has grasped that living by the Lord means to live by love. It means this is the most loving way to live. This is the way that God wants you to live in a world in which is, shows his love. It's amazing that he's grasped that. He's grasped that one simple statement, to love God and to love one another. But I think that we all know that, right? We all know that God wants us to love one another. So we shouldn't need that much further explanation of this. But it turns out we're not always good as that as we'd hoped. The man knows he's supposed to love, but he double checks with Jesus and says, well, okay, but who am I supposed to love? Who is my neighbor? I recently returned from Romania, a place I've been going for many years, and I'm usually out there to work with children. Um, but on this occasion, we, I was there a few weeks ago, and we were helping to settle some Ukrainian refugees. Um, we were settle them in a place called Bakal, which is about three hours away from the Ukrainian border. And I think in spending time with them, I, um, I realized I have some kind of misconceptions, some, some ideas that I didn't realize that I had before, and it really challenged me. But I think in, in my mind, I had this idea that somebody who is a refugee has always been poor. They've always been from a disadvantaged place. They've always been from a place of war, a place of conflict. That I can't possibly relate to somebody who is a refugee. And now it turned out that last point was true, but only in so much that these people were showing me pictures of their beach houses and their skiing holidays, which put my holidays in Costa del Clacton to shame. (laughs) I couldn't relate to these people, but in such a different way that I had imagined Earlier, I made a flippant point about not being, not being able to relate to a, to a wealthy woman because she hired staff when she was struggling. As if the fact that she is privileged takes away from the fact that she is struggling and she needs help and that she needs a neighbor, that she needs somebody to help her. The man asked Jesus, who is my neighbor and who should I love? The answer is that everybody needs a neighbor and that everybody is called to be one regardless of their social standing, their popularity, their wealth. Jesus was a human and he lived amongst humans. And as we all know, we have an unfortunate habit of finding any excuse to draw divisions between ourselves. We put up walls between us and the other, anyone who doesn't seem like us. What Luke does in his gospel is show Jesus as the social butterfly that he is hanging out with all of these unlikely people and leveling the playing field. And I think it's easy to remember that when we think of the fact that Jesus was friends with the lonely, the the people who were excluded from society, the fishermen, the, the sex workers. But we forget that Jesus also had dinner with the Pharisees. He also healed a centurion's son. Rich people came to Jesus to ask for advice. What the Good Samaritan teaches us is that being human Some days we might be the man at the side of the road that is not used to asking for help. And some days we might be the man walking past, not used to being asked. 
And in these moments, nothing should matter but our shared humanity and showing love. This parable is so much deeper than help people. If that was all Jesus wanted to get across, he could have said that far more succinctly. He wants us to have a deeper understanding of what it means to show love to people and who those people are supposed to be. He wants us to delve deeper into the ways in which he encountered and encouraged life and humanity. Because Jesus did know what it was to be rejected, but he also knew what it was to have 5,000 people hanging on his every word. Everyone is in need of a neighbor, and everyone is called to be one. As a man, Jesus had hands-on experience of the divisions that humans draw between ourselves. And by his words and his actions, he implores us into this revolutionary humanity of equality. A man who some rejected and others hailed as a savior. To some, he was a poor carpenter's son, and to others, he was the Lord. And even at the story of his birth, we hear about the shepherds, but we also hear about the kings that came to visit him. Because Jesus wasn't just a human, but he was an encapsulation of all of humanity. The full scale. I don't think there's a person alive who could read the Bible and not relate to him in some way. Luke wants us to know this about him. He wants us to see all the ways in which Jesus models humanity for us. This kindness, this love, this mercy, and this inclusivity.